0: Always remind yourself you're your own person and no matter what's going on around you you've got to be truthful to who you are and live kind of in accordance with your with your values.
1: Welcome to Hyper Curious, our weekly celebration of what's best in human beings, our curiosity. My name is Mita Luca and I love that you're taking a precious time of your day to listen to us today. In the show, if you haven't noticed yet, I talk to the most incredible entrepreneurs, authors, investors, and keycast people I know, and they share their best insights and aha moments of their careers and lives with us. Today I'm talking to Maria Sayans, the CEO of Us2Games, which you probably know because of Monument Valley, a stunning minimalist mobile game that was played by millions of people worldwide, and I played it so much, I absolutely love it. It also won a BAFTA Award and an Apple Design Award. Maria spent almost 20 years in marketing leadership roles at Electronic Arts and CCP, working with super successful games such as Star Wars and Battlefield. Don't worry if you're not a gamer or if you're not super into games. Her vision is to bring what's meaningful about games to everyone, i.e. those beautiful experiences that touch ourselves. Today, Maria and I talk about how to connect with your values to discover what you really want for the rest of your life. The key traits we want to learn from gamers and Gen Z consumers. And her special little secret to transform complex things into simple ideas. Maria, how did you decide what you wanted to do in your life and career? Huh.
0: It, it was a long story for me. I mean, it was it wasn't uh, uh, it wasn't one of these situations of I've always known what I wanted, right? I I would say that. Um, Growing up and into my years of university and my first years of my career, I was for the most part kind of achievement-driven, like a very much of a tick-boxer, right? A combination of a tick-boxer, like, OK, what's the best university? I'll go there. You know, what's the best job? I'll do that. Um, a mixture of that and then a desire to keep my options open. Um, So what's the option that's not going to force me to get married to something and I can see the world? So I started out in management, actually. Uh, I'm doing kind of management consulting, which allowed me to see the world. I've lived in, like, I don't know, 11 different countries. Um, And um, some of that before my games life and some of that after my games life. But, But there was a point, I think, think just uh, before I was turning 30, where I said, ooh, you know, what do I really want to do, <laughs> right? Because now it's getting now it's getting real. And I did a bit of soul searching at the time, and I looked at, okay, what, what, what are the things that really motivate me? What are the things that, like, where my passion really lives? And I kind of found that kind of three themes that I thought, if I'm connected to these things for the rest of my life, I'll be happy. And so one of them was entertainment. You know, I've always been somebody who loves um, film and music and books and theater and popular culture in general and the impact that it has on people, the stories that it tells, the insight that it gives you. So I love popular culture uh, and entertainment in general. There's another thing which is about technology. I've always loved the uh, ever-changing element of technology, the 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 sense of adventure, of where is it going, the sense of possibility. I'm a bit of a science fiction nerd, and I always was, and so that sense of the future, that sense of where is that going, that was always something that you know appealed to me. And then the third thing was um, working with young people. And when I realized that, like, okay, these are three things, three components that I want to have in my life forever, until I'm a little old lady, then uh, it was kind of, oh wow, video games, right? Because video games is at the center of those three things, entertainment, technology, and and, and working with young people. So it, it was like a ping. I, I it became clear to me. At, at the time I had played games, but I never considered myself a gamer. Um, so I was lucky to be able to connect with some people that were in the industry and uh, who gave me a chance. And yeah, and I've now been in the industry for, you know, very very long time nearly 20 years yeah I mean my in my late 40s so it's been an amazing ride
1: i love that i love the amount of self awareness and like this kind of three things and how can i understand myself to put myself in the right position to work on something that i'm passionate about this is super inspiring really really cool and at that time so you you were you like okay i need to get get rid of you know the consultancy firm You were at McKinsey, right? And you're like jumping to, you know, one of the biggest companies in the games industry, electronic arts. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So this firm that I had been working for, McKinsey,
1: is um,
0: this thing, is is, is, is this network of alumni, right? If you've worked at McKinsey, you'll always be in contact with the people who've worked there. And so when I realized I wanted to work in games, I, they used to have a database, where you well, they still have it, where you can look, okay, which other McKinsey people work at, in games. And I was able to find uh, one, a, a guy called Gerhard Florin, which at the time was running EA Europe. And I picked up the phone and I said, oh, Gerhard, you don't know me, but I want to work for you. <laughs> and he asked, me, he asked me, what do you know how to do? And I said, well... I know how to do databases. I know how to do customer relationship management, CRM, anything that has to do with using user data to market them or to treat them differently in a company. And he said, oh, that's interesting because at EA, we're starting to think about what a direct-to-consumer business could look like, so we're interested in that space. And so he gave me a chance, like... I took a pay cut from McKinsey to work coming to games, right? I had no team, no real remit because at the time what I was doing was, had not been developed. Nobody understood it. It was for me to define what the potential of that was. And so I just, you know, over a number of years, I built a team, I built uh, campaigns and activities. I started taking over to not just database marketing, but also web publishing, uh, community management, customer service, anything that had to do with direct-to-consumer online media. And I, I basically grew that and ran that for EA in Europe for about seven years or so.
1: That's brilliant. And you became a senior marketing director at EA. What would you say for the listeners who are marketers about the Generation Z, right? You know, inside out about gamers since, you know, for the last 20 years. So what, what do you say to them? What is what is the biggest insight that you learned from understanding deeply this consumer?
0: I think one thing that I think defines um, first gamers, and I think eventually just, just the generation in general, is this sense of agency, this sense of they assume power. Um, And I think that's dramatically different from any previous generation. And I've always thought about having worked a lot in communities and with very activist communities like the BioWare one or the DICE one for Battlefield, eventually with with CCP on EVE Online. I've always been close to, to... gamer communities, and, and and you can see that they are amazing activists. When they decide to put their mind to something, they organize incredibly well, they create content, they are very well connected, and all of, and, and they assume agency. Because games give them this sense of agency, right, this sense of, if I do something, something is going to happen. I have power in this game. They extrapolate from that, and they just take it for granted in a way. And they assume that, of course, reality is going to operate in the same way that games do. And so I I think I started to see that first among gamers, but now I see that uh, amongst a a lot of young people is, is that, um, yeah, that sense of you know, assume agency as default
1: (laughs) and find a way
0: to exercise
1: that agency. (laughs) That's super interesting because it's like, yeah, different to any other entertainment uh, mediums, right? It's uh, you are in control. You are the one uh, deciding what to do with your next move in a game, which is different when you're just watching TV and consuming everything that is being given to you, right?
0: Yeah. And you add to that the fact that games are hyper-connected, right? Um, And uh, and that um, people can find other people with similar interests wherever they are in the world, that the kind of meme invention machines that games communities are. Um, And when you put all of these things together, uh, yeah, you've got incredibly powerful uh, consumers, people, communities, whatever you want to call them.
1: So... Let's go back to your, you know, your trajectory as, you know, learning to be a great marketer, marketing director, now becoming one of the rare women as a CEO in a technology entertainment company, right? How was this transition? Did you have an aha moment that you're like, hmm, marketing is amazing and I learned a lot from that. Now I want to do something different and I want to develop myself to be in a position of leading a whole company.
0: Well, so actually I I had an earlier aha moment, which was, so I told you earlier that I I grew, like I was going through like building the online marketing functions at EA. And there was a moment in which I realized that I was becoming a specialist and that that was not what I had wanted to do when I came into the industry, that I had wanted to be closer to the games. I had wanted to be closer to the creative teams and, and, and that being as a specialist, I was going to go into just a very specific direction. And, um, and I think it was that moment when I said, OK, actually, I want to work in marketing, but I want to work in product marketing where I have a broader visibility of what the entire um, marketing stack and and brand strategy and product strategy is and working closely more closely with the developers. So I made like a lateral move at that point. And uh, which is what took me eventually to, to work at DIES, being um, responsible for battlefield marketing uh, worldwide. And I think that um, having done that, and then moving on to CCP and working as part of a leadership team with a CEO and having that visibility of how do you build a company strategy uh, around a vision, around your product strategy, around a deep understanding of your your consumer, is um, I think that's the moment where I got, that broader visibility. And, and again, to me, I think one of the themes in my, in, in my gaming career has been that desire to get closer to the game. You know, when I started working out in games, just being part of the industry was exciting enough, right? It was so refreshing after having come from, from a corporate background, and, uh, and it was so exciting. and But I think over time, I, I had to rediscover what my love for the industry was about because one thing that was happening was that over time i was playing less and less games like right family comes in and and life takes over um and you find yourself playing less games um or starting many games never finishing any of them and and i i had a sort of like a a, a, particularly when i was working at, at ccp where the core game that we were working on eve online was very very different from anything that I have ever played and, and where my, my interest was um, as a player. So I think that was also another aha moment where I realized that what gave me passion in games had changed and it become more about helping creative teams make the games. So it, 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 had, it had become more about how do I create the opportunity the space for these super creative people these super passionate people these beautiful ideas that they have how do i create the space the conditions the team the risk whatever it is so that that can happen and that can um arrive at, at players yeah
1: it is because it's like suddenly you see your role in like a catalyst way, right? As opposed to I'm making the things, but I'm a I'm a catalyst to organize to get the right people on board and create beautiful things, and you know and. The company work, you work at right now as a CEO uh, still created one of the most beautiful minimalist experiences you're ever going to play in your mobile phone. So if you haven't played yet, do play Monument Valley and Assemble with Care, which is on the on the App Store right now as well on the Apple Arcade. So, yeah, I I, I love that because suddenly you became this catalyst and then enabler to make greatness thing, things happen, right?
0: Yeah, it's... um. It's a very different mindset because it's about just understanding, like, look, I mean, you know this, right? Making games is, is hard. Uh, it's hard intellectually and it's hard emotionally in, from an organization perspective and having that sense of that confidence to pull something through. And, uh, and to keep that flame going through a process of, like, good ideas can die a thousand cuts over a few years of development. So knowing how to kind of nurture that and knowing how to protect it, but at the same time challenge it when needed, that's, that to me is, is really difficult, but really exciting and, and, and a way in which I look at kind of what I do today.
1: When you want to provoke changes right as, a, as as a CEO now, how do you make sure that you get the buy-in from everyone who's working with you
0: I think it's a case of having a strong alignment around values and a strong alignment around vision um, and then talking right I mean if, if you're clear about if you're clear about why you care about things, what you care about, and where do you want the company to go, and that is shared with your leadership team and, and with the company, then there is a lot of common... Like, there's a lot of commonality that you can kind of come back to when you're trying to introduce uh, a, a change. So, so for example, you know, um, whether it's looking at the type of games that we're trying to make, right? And so, so for example, at us 2 games um, when I came in about a year ago, we kicked off like this strategic process of looking at, okay, this is where we've come from. This is this is, what's, this is what we're good at and, uh, and what we are really proud of and the things that we don't want to change. But how do we build a vision that kind of leans into these things but also propels us to, to the future? And out of that conversation... And that process, certain things came up, like, okay, well, um, the size of the teams, like how we've worked in the past with really small, really senior teams. Well, there's a conflict between that, for example, and trying to be the kind of company that is inclusive, that gives opportunities to uh, young people entering into the industry, that gives career paths, right? You can't have this, like, super hot team of, like, really experienced senior people and at the same time be a great citizen in the industry and, and and be kind of the kind of company that we aspire to be so having that conversation around values and uh, uh, allowed us to say okay how do we move forward so that we can try and be these two things at the same time on the one side keeping you know some of the really creative and collaborative and uh, infectious way in which we operate, but at the same time, making room for younger people and people who are coming into the industry to, to join in on, on those projects and give them kind of the coaching or uh, the, the kind of career and learning process, um, learning opportunities to, to do that. So that's kind of one example. Um, and I think a lot of our conversations at us too with, with me and, and, and the leadership team often come back to values.
1: It's all about being super focused, and I know that people who worked with you before uh, say that you are great at uh, transforming complexity things into simple things. The immediate person that came to my mind when I learned that was Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs is and was a guy, right? Who, who was very much about that? He transformed something that seemed very complex and very techy into simple and beautiful things. What is your secret?
0: Well, I'm no Steve Jobs, so we can, like that, at least we can park that. <laughs> I do think I like big ideas. I like to operate and play at a very uh, conceptual level. But at the same time, I've always been a very hands-on kind of person. Um, And one of the things that I've always tried to do in my career is to understand the jobs that people in my team do. Not to be an expert, but at least to understand what's involved in whether it's running a PR event or uh, setting up a social media campaign or, um, I don't know, capturing video (laughs) to make a trailer i like to understand i like to understand that and so so i think part of it is is that like and i don't know what the secret to that is because i think that's very temperamental the fact that like you know i love those big ideas but then i also have no problem just sticking my 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 kind of fingers into something i probably do not have the patience to become really good at something and i think that's maybe why i've never got lost in the details because i don't have huge amounts of Patience. I am not a perfectionist at all, and so, but I do this kind of up and down, up and down, up and down, kind of regularly. And then I think that, like, I started out at McKinsey just when I was super young, and so a lot of the mental and uh, discipline there uh, of how do you structure a problem and um, and how do you analyze it, just. Kid. Like I was like nineteen years old when I like the I, when I first did my internship with them. It's kind of like I grew up in that environment, and, and and I guess along the way it became a second nature to me. So I would say that, and then I think the other thing is, specifically in games, is to keep a player centric mindset. I've become again as as I've gone older and had you know kids and. I've just been very aware that I'm not the customer. Like, I, I cannot extrapolate from what I like because very often that's not going to, in some cases it works, uh, but in many cases it's just not a very good uh, guideline. So, I've always been the kind of person that if there's focus groups, I'm not going to read the report. I'm going to sit there. I'm going to listen to the players talking about it. If there is a community gathering, I'm going to be in the bus, sitting next to the guy from Iowa who has flown over all the way for this player convention. I'm going to ask him all about his elderly mother. I, and, and I think that sort of... Well, I like it. First of all, I like it. I, I like that access to to players. But also just recognizing that it, it's not going to come to me naturally because I, I don't live those lives anymore. I don't... Uh, so it's a bit of like a... I'm um, like a, a little
1: bit of an anthropologist sometimes, you know, <laughs> going on these little <laughs> excursions. <laughs> it's And tons of curiosity, right? you like, good, good questions lead you to good decisions. Yeah, I think so. That's good. Yeah. What did you do in your career to build this? I mean, you already said about uh, McKinsey, right? But. For people who are listening to us, who haven't gone through this, you know, experience with, uh, with a consult- consultancy firm, what, do you, what is your advice to them? How do they create this mindset to let it go, to not to be a perfectionist, and to always kind of leading their thoughts and their, their decisions by curiosity?
0: Um, I think part of it is just keep a playful
1: mindset. Um, And I think
0: that that's one of my kind of big values, besides curiosity, is is a sense of fun, a sense of playfulness. And like, whether it's playing with ideas, playing with concepts, or just playing with, you know, whatever we're doing. You know, we're on this, if you're working in games particularly, you're on this kind of grand adventure. (laughs) Like the industry is constantly changing. What you're doing today is not gonna be what you're doing tomorrow. There is not like this kind of expert um, glorification, right? Because, because, you know, who cares how we used to do things the day of the, P- of the PlayStation 2, like, well PlayStation 3, like the, the world has changed completely. Uh, so a sense of fun and adventure and try things out. And that's one thing. And then I think the other one is, I you know try to educate yourself in, in thinking models because those are things that if you don't read about them, or um, eh, they're not going to come to you naturally, right? There are some people who just have this thing that it just naturally comes to them, which maybe you know they're like natural engineers uh, that it just they're able to just break something up really really easily, uh, but. The majority of us just need to be given these thought tools, or these um, heuristics, or these um, uh, frameworks. And, uh, and luckily today, there's like the co- the amount of content online to be able to educate yourself on that is is massive, right? I mean, so so whether it's some LinkedIn courses or you know or Courseras or. You know, even, even like the big business schools have a lot of content online. I would say that uh, sort of strategic thinking uh, uh, is, is something that's worth spending time on doing.
1: What was the most challenging moment of your life or career? Of my life?
0: If it's a personal moment, I probably would have to refer to when my mother died, right? I was only 19. I was the oldest of six children, And my dad had like stopped working uh, to look after my mom because uh, she had cancer. She was going to, so the last year we we knew she was going to die. Actually, it was a really fast cancer. So my little sister was only one year old, right? My sister was born and within two months they found the cancer. And within nine months or so she uh, she, she died. But surprisingly, oh, not surprisingly, I just my memories of that are always of the amazing support that I had with my family. And, and so it probably for an outsider looking in, you would say, okay, that's the most difficult moment in your life. I I don't remember it that way. Me and my sisters, we, you know, grew up very quickly and, uh, and I had uh, aunties that really supported us and family, family that really supported us. And, uh, so actually, if anything, that gave me a lot of kind of strength to knowing that, that there's that you can get over adversities um, and to in knowing, particularly in, in our case, being kind of, you know, a Spanish family that knowing that you will always have that. And I think that that's something that I've known, like I've, I've grown to really value is that sense of that sense of place, of continuity, of like just the rock that a big Mediterranean extended family gives you. <laughs> I think the hardest times professionally and have been the moments where I've kind of, you know, you, you've lost your way a little bit, where, where you're unsure if your instincts are right, where you have a conflict of values between who you are, who you want to be, and may, perhaps what the situation is demanding of you or or what the environment is demanding of you. And so those have always been kind of change moments for me, right? Crisis moments where, like, it's clear, like, this is not going to continue like this. So, um, I mean, I think particularly at the time, like, when I left CCP, um, we had gone very big into virtual reality had studios all over the world doing that and probably went too heavy on it for too long Um, and at some point the investors in the company said like all right you gotta wrap this up (laughs) and um, kind of instructed us to prepare the company for a sale Uh, it meant we had to streamline and um, and we had to kind of um, you know we had to let people go uh, yeah, like a third of the company, and I think that coming out of that, you know, eventually we sold the company, and I left because because you feel that the energy and the passion that um, the motivation that has taken you to that point is really difficult to regain. Uh, at least in my case, it was really difficult. That's one of the hardest moments, uh, probably in the last however many years, like five or six years. Yeah.
1: What do you think was the most important? Uh, strength you had when you faced that situation?
0: So the situation had become quite challenging, right? Because when you have to let go a third of a company, that's, that's just going to be really, really hard. And inevitably, it's going to have, you know, challenging relationships and it's heartbreaking and you've got, you know, you feel guilty, you feel like you've failed to the people uh, that, uh, that are losing their jobs. And um, I do think and through that process, I remember thinking, I eventually resigned, I don't know, like in May or something like that, or and and, and, and agreed for like a, a handover phase. But the thought of resigning but not leaving was in my mind before that. And so I, I think soon after we let people go, one of the things that I was feeling as in this feeling of like of crisis, of personal crisis, of like not being able to be the person you want to be, right, uh, not finding a way to do that. In my mind, I thought, I'll just resign, but not leave. And I'll say, here's my resignation. You can fire me any day. Like, and from now on, but I didn't do it. I didn't do it, but I wish I'd done it because, because I think what, in my mind, what that attitude was gonna buy me was was the freedom to just do whatever I wanted to do. You know, just like, and, and, and do things in the way that I wanted to do them. Because in a way I had resigned, they could fire me any day, any minute, the deal is done, right? <laughs> and I think it's, it's that sense of regaining your own freedom to always remind yourself, you're your own person. And no matter what's going on around you, you've got to be truthful to who you are and uh and 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 live kind of in accordance with your with your values. I think freedom is another key theme for me, you know. And, and I remember having a conversation with Hilmar, the CEO, who's a good friend, right? We've we've stayed in, in, in really good terms. But and I remember telling him, like, I need to have freedom. And he said, freedom from what? And I said, Well, just freedom from myself. Like, just and, and it's that sense of. Just being in the moment, with a good understanding of of yeah of your values, and and just with having yeah that that freedom to be who you authentically are. So very wise words. Yeah, I don't know if that answers your question.
1: No, no, <laughs> but it doesn't matter. My question. <laughs> I think such wise words especially in the moment where we're living right now with pandemic and everything that is going around us right so kind of going back to your values and and what's really important for you and you know freedom is one of the things that is important for all of us as human beings right good oh my god i have so many more questions i'm gonna go to because i'm conscious of time so we're gonna go for the last bit of this conversation and it's a game about fictional character and what i'm doing in this series is the following i created olivia Who doesn't exist, it's just fictional in my mind. And in each episode of the series, Olivia has a stuck moment in her career. And each guest gives her an advice so that she gets unstuck. And Olivia follows the advice and then, uh, you know, faces a new U-turn, which I present to my following guest. And at the end of the series, we'll see how Olivia's life pan out. So I'm going to give you a little bit of background on Olivia. And then I'll present you what, you know, Olivia needs from Maria right now. Olivia worked in finance. Then she found out that her passion was not there. It was actually much more in the marketing side. And she managed to learn everything about marketing and went into an advertising agency. And she faced a lot of bumps in the roads there, a lot of obstacles. Recession came. She almost lost her job. So there was a lot of bumpy roads there. But eventually she kind of found a way that she was really going for like to become a creative director in the in the agency. So she was like thrilled with that and like, wow, that's exactly what I want to do in my life. But then she got an opportunity to uh, start a new company that would actually revolutionize the advertising agency or industry as a whole. And she was really, really indecisive. She was like, should I continue in this path that feels a little bit more certain or should I jump into the unknown? And she decided to jump into the unknown. But she was like, the biggest advice she was given when she went for it was make sure that whatever you do when you're transitioning out, that you do not burn bridges. That you you know, you know, have a way that if something doesn't go right, you can come back, there's a little door, a little window open for you to go back. And now, Olivia talks to Maria and says, Maria, how do I do this? How do I go into the unknown, resign from the company, but still keep the doors opened? So
0: I think that there's a number of different doors to keep open, right? One is uh, with people, with the people in the company that you're leaving. How do you make sure that they feel part of your story, that they're rooting for you? Um, So the more that you can bring them along with your journey of why you want to do this, why it is exciting, give them enough time so that they can process this, right? So you're not leaving them in the middle of a project after they've invested in you and they've, uh, you know, in some cases, taken risks for you. So find who these people are, who these key people are and bring them along in the journey. Tell them like, you know, use them for advice, like, you know, walk them through what you're thinking and see what they tell you. And, and I find that when people give you advice, very often, they come a little bit um, invested in your story and they want to help you further. Um, so I think that's one way. And, and that's more about the doors open. So give people time, bring them along on, on your journey, ask them for their advice um, and then the, the second part is kind of professionally how do you make sure that um, that you can come back if not necessarily to the same company to a similar role and, and so I think that's about looking at what you're doing as part of a um, as part of a, a of a learning journey so think about how what you're doing contributes to what you've done in the past. Um, and, I mean, these days, I would advise somebody, like, you know, have a few medium blogs and write about what you're doing, connected to your previous history, promote it on LinkedIn, that kind of thing, make sure that there is a continuity. But I've never been a founder uh, of a startup, and I've often heard that actually you've got to burn the boats like if you're thinking that you're gonna go back, then you probably are already, <laughs> you're already losing. So my first instinct is like, just burn the boats because being a founder, from the founders that I know, from the people, you know, uh, uh, you and I are both angel investors uh, on, on uh, Lost Yard, right? Um, and, and other people that I know, it's, just, it's really hard work and if you think that you can make it back, you're going to lose your, your conviction and, uh, uh, very, very quickly. So I don't think these two things are incompatible. Keep the relationships, but don't think too much about going back. I, I, I just, um, it's never good to go back. You always go forward, go forward. <laughs>
1: Love that. (laughs) Love that. That's a great, that's a great wrap up. I love that. That's great. Is there anything where you want to talk uh, about today that we didn't touch or, you know, anything that you want to tell the world that they should listen to right now?
0: No, us two games. We're awesome. We're making beautiful games. Come and play our games. Assemble with Care. We've got an amazing thing coming out later this year. Keep your eyes open up for that. We'll announce uh, soonish. Uh, so, yeah, just uh, just keep the hope where, where I have so much hope for the industry and for what games can do uh, for for the world that um, just, um, you yeah, keep keep that positive spirit. I know everything is kind of falling apart around us, but it really isn't. Uh, and uh, it and we humans and uh, have a lot more. Kind of strength and positivity
1: and uh, and hope in them that we often give uh, give them credit for. Beautiful. If people want to connect with you, what is the best way? Uh,
0: I'm on Twitter as Stealth Crystal. Uh, I'm not super active,
1: but uh, I'm regularly active. Okay. Thank you very much, Maria. It was a huge pleasure to talk to you today. Yeah. Thank you. It was super fun. Are you starting a business right now? Pay attention to that. That was an amazing advice. Burn the boats, never look back always going forward. I love that. So that's it for today. I really hope you enjoyed as much as I did. And please, please, please make sure that you press five stars if you enjoyed this conversation and leave a comment. It's going to mean the world to me and it's going to help other people be able to find these episodes also on Apple Podcasts and Spotify and whatever app you're using to listen to this. If you want to know more about me, about the stuff that I have been doing in the world, go to betaluka.com, betaluca.com, b e t a l u c acom or visit hypercurious.fm. For now, ciao, ciao.